You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 145. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Buckman. Suadikar! Whoa! Hey, son, hey, son! Where, what was that? Where are yeah. you, Andras? You're back! Oh, oh my god. Uh, oh my Buddha, I should say. Oh, or something like that. Oh, uh, beware, beware the local S- rules so you don't get into trouble. Yeah, you know, this is a country where they, they call him, call him the Lord Buddha. Okay. Uh, so yeah. they, they, they consider him. Uh, the country happens to be Thailand. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Or good. I mean, uh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, that's, uh, very far away. The European skeptic portal. You remember it's European, right? Yeah, and I don't tend to change that. <laughs> okay. <It's> just... <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. With the Europeans podcast coming to you from all over the world. Fantastic. Unfortunately, Jelena can't be with us tonight. Yeah, unfortunately. But next time, yep. I'm really hoping that we can do this together, the three of us. <laughs> the three again. of us, yes. I hinted last uh, week that it would be uh, an interview, uh, but it's not an interview uh, because we couldn't make it happen. We will still work on that. Uh, still not telling you who it was we were supposed to interview, but uh, we'll make it happen. We're still working on it, yeah. But basically, you made yourself a liar. Yes, well... Good for you. I, 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 uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I predicted <laughs> wrongly. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. I can, I can, I can work with that, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, I, I'm afraid I have, to, I have to apologize to everyone listening to this for my voice. It sounds as if uh, I became some kind of a monster, which uh, which I haven't. Uh, oh. At least not that I not that I know of. <laughs> Weird things can happen to you in Asia, though. That's true, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just a regular morning voice after after waking up. So, what time is it in Thailand? It's a little bit past five a.m. I'm afraid. Five a.m. Okay, good. Yeah. It is. Uh... Half past eleven here, something like that. In the Not evening. soon to be. Yeah, in the evening. So, yeah, what won't we do for you guys? We we are up <laughs> all night, all over the world, trying to give you this show. So, anyway, but we have... I have actually uh, late-minute news as this is recorded. Okay. Uh, we have dates for the European Skeptics Congress next year. Just oh, been... Totally it's probably not official. It's probably not official yet, but uh, I believe the dates are now set. 29th of August to 1st of September next year in Ghent in uh, Belgium. Save the date. So do you think that it was up to us to announce that first before before the... Um, <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But, but I don't think it's but, a big secret. I know. And we are, after all, the European Skeptics Podcast. So uh, we have a lot to do with uh, European skepticism. So it's probably yeah. our job to do these. Yeah, if we're wrong or if they change it again, then we'll change it. But now I don't think so. I think that's uh, pretty definite now. Yeah, and, and let's just imagine that we are a news agency here and mm-hmm. uh, we have to beat everyone else sharing the news. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right. By the way, talking about news, um, I know it's it has nothing to do with uh, European skepticism, but it has something to do with what we always... Uh, talk about and that is scientists in politics 
Mm-hmm. And have you followed the the U.S. midterm elections? Ah, uh, yeah, uh, I have. So first of all, people seem to be punishing the Trump administration a little bit, which is a good thing in itself. But uh, from our point of view, I think the best outcome is that there are more scientists in in the U.S. Congress now than there used really? to be. Really. Uh, really, yes. I haven't no, that one. I have missed. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there are eighteen of them now, and that is almost double the number of uh, what they used to have. Okay, that's good. It well, it's good that it's increasing. But eighteen out of four hundred and something—it's not huge, but still, that is true. But it's <laughs> an improvement. It definitely is an improvement. Yeah. There, there is uh, um, one physicist, one microbiologist, a chemist, eight engineers, and one mathematician. Even wow, yeah, well, that's dead. good. That's good. I hope, I hope they can make a difference. I don't know, but uh, can't be a bad thing. So I'm now I'm winking like crazy now at all European scientists. Yeah, this is a good sign. You can do it. Although I have to say that um, the U.S. have um, a couple of, uh, not agencies, but non-governmental organizations who, who try to help people uh, prepare for that. And I think um, you can you can read up on this um, pretty nicely. There are there is a little bit of a profile included in that uh, article, which was published by Business Insider uh, just recently, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So Great. do check it out, please. The link will be up on the website. Great. But why don't we start the actual segments? Mm-hmm. Out of which this week in skepticism will be missing this week. <laughs> Sorry about that, but uh, because of the shortage of time and um, and resources that we've had uh, recently, I'm afraid we have to skip this. But that means that we are. Jumping right onto Pontus Pokes the Pope. Yes, let's do that. Uh, it's just been a week since the last poking, so I'll try to do something a little bit different this uh, this week. Uh, we will go to Poland, actually, uh, one of the most Catholic countries there is in Europe, up to towards ninety percent identifying as Catholics, and that's why it's so interesting that in just a month. The opinion about the Catholic Church seems to have turned a bit sour from a steady level and about, you know, it's already before they had about 20% disapproval rates for the Catholic Church. So that means Mm -hmm. at least 10% they disapprove of the Church, but they're still Catholics. But okay, that's fine. But the number has now increased to 29% almost overnight in just a month. This is according to a survey done by CBOS, which is the Center for Public Opinion Research in Poland. And why has this been then? Well, it's because of a film. There is a new Polish film out as of, uh, well, new and new. It was, it premiered on uh, 2nd of October and it's called Kler or clergy in English. I, I don't know if Kler is the right pronunciation, but that's how they spell it in, in, in Polish. And it's a satire or, or a comedy about three Catholic priests, and it shows how the church is being involved in corruption, alcoholism, romantic liaisons, and, of course, child abuse. I, I don't know how you make that into a comedy, but I haven't seen the film yet, but uh, we'll see. 
but it's been a fantastic box office hit in Poland. About 4 million people have already seen it. And that's that's more than 10% of the whole population. <laughs> I have seen a trailer, though, with English subtitles. And I will be looking for it if, if it gets distributed so I can see the whole thing. The best measure of its success is that it's been condemned by the ruling Nationalist Party, who has expressly said uh, that they aim to re-Christianize the European Union. <laughs> uh, so they don't oh. like this film at all. Can I just say, oh my God? <laughs> you could, you can, you can. Uh, so this is not directly a, a, a poking the Pope, uh, I, but um, I'm happy to see others poking the Catholic Church and uh, best of all, using humor as a weapon. I think that's very effective. Yeah. So thank you very much to the writer and director, Wojciech Smarsowski. Uh, well done. And I wonder what Pope Francis will think of this one. Hmm. Have you noticed how your segment of poking the Pope, how it it starts developing into poking the whole Catholic Church? <laughs> For some reason, yes. The Pope is, as they say, Catholic. So I've heard the rumors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Let's move on to the news segment. Uh, there is some something someone else whom we've heard of uh, recently quite a lot, and we will in the future again, because he's just someone who cannot stop. Um, that is Massimo Polidoro from Italy, yeah. and the 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 head of uh, the Italian committee for the uh, investigation of claims of the paranormal. Cheek up, cheek up. Imagine what happened. He's publishing a new book. Oh, that's every month now. That's every month now. The no, man you, is is fearless. You can't stop him. Unbelievable. This is the uh, this is the fourth book he's publishing this year. <laughs> I I so, can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, the other thing is that it'll be his fiftieth book ever published. Wow! And it will be about Leonardo. Um. It um, it translates as Leonardo, a romance of a, a genius rebel. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think he is kind of fascinated by uh, Leonardo da Vinci's work and life's work. And, and uh, this shows in his latest video on the Strane Storia series. You know the the one that explains a couple of mysteries and and uh, yeah. the the title is Ten Mysteries of Leonardo da Vinci. That's that's really yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm I'm afraid it's just available in Italian. I'm afraid, right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. But um, I believe his uh, English uh, speaking video series is on uh, as well now. So um, hope it will grow. Very, very well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how he yeah. finds the time to do all of this. It's amazing. I don't know. He must He must be out of this world. But I'm really glad that he's doing this. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. And the book uh, is coming out on the 13th of November. Great. All right. I will go. Um, I saw an interesting news item from Sweden from um, just from uh, my local town or city of Malmö in the south of Sweden. But I, I, I think it's interesting from a more uh, general point of view. The police has, the local police has done a uh, survey and they've come to the conclusion uh, that there is 
although there are less crimes being committed every year, and this year is no uh, exception, people still feel more unsafe. And I think that's Mm -hmm. worrying and that's telling. I think people are shouting for more and more police and more and more law and order. We have to stop. We have to stop. And they don't realize that things are actually becoming better and better all the time. I'm, I'm not saying that there's no crime. Of course there is crime. And of course we should aim, try to find a way to bring it down to zero. But people are feeling more and more unsafe, although the actual fact is that they are more and more safe. And that is strange. Uh, well, it's not surprising to me. We've seen this all over the world. But it's worrying because it's, uh, you know, people don't... Well, what I guess what I'm saying is that people don't know the facts or they don't look at the facts. Their opinion is very often contrary to, to what actually is happening. Mm. Yeah. It's not a local phenomenon here in Malmo. It's it's a it's a global thing, I think. Yeah, too bad that um, the, the the thing that I like to share with our listeners doesn't have any kind of data about Sweden mm-hmm. because that is about the computational propaganda research project uh, made by uh, done by the University of Oxford. And published in a piece that's, uh, that has a chart titled Challenging Truth and Trust, a Global Inventory of Organized Social Media Manipulation. So why I'm, I'm starting with this is because I'm pretty sure that it has a lot to do with, uh, manipulation and mostly by social media or on social media and using it as a, as the means of manipulation of the public. And I would be very much interested in how they uh, would have evaluated that and what they would have come up with uh, in terms of uh, countries like Sweden. But uh, Mm. they analyzed the uh, social media activity of, uh, and they publish it every, I think every year. And uh, they analyzed the social media activity in uh, 48 different countries, mostly developing countries or um, places where, uh, well, the political situation is somewhat fragile with a couple of ex- exceptions like uh, the Netherlands. I mean, I, although I, I wouldn't say that it's not fragile, but the data can be um, continuously flowing in. Like uh, there are countries where uh, they started this uh, survey as early as 2008. Now, even Hungary uh, was among them. Well, among the European countries, not surprisingly, it seems that uh, only Hungary is the one that uh, focuses on government agencies or government agencies are the ones focusing on social media activity and manipulation through social media. But there are some very worrying pieces of information here. So this survey brings out how also they use, uh, there is a very important, important and, uh, very well visible, um, table in the middle of, um, of the figures. And they use color codes to show how strong that media activity is. If I see that uh, in terms of Hungary, where I know that social media activity is very strong from the government agencies. Well, there are much stronger ones indicated here in this table, and that is quite worrying all over the world. Yeah, some of them are the ones that I recently visited, like uh, 
Cambodia and Thailand. Mm-hmm. And that is unbelievable how much the government agencies are manipulating people and politicians and parties. And the, 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 the five segments that they use was, um, and the, the five segments they focused on, uh, in terms of, uh, who the media activity, uh, social media activity is, is done by is the government agencies, politicians and parties, private contractors, civil society organizations, and citizens and influencers. And the last two columns are the emptiest when uh, we ne- we see the, the color codes. So civil society organizations, citizens, and influencers are the least likely to manipulate the public opinion through social media, mm. apparently based on this survey yeah. and uh i think it's uh it's worth looking at it it it's worth uh trying to analyze it there is a very interesting and uh and detailed discussion of of this um of the the results so it's it's worth having a look yeah i think uh. reflecting back on these two last uh, news items i think i used to think <laughs> that there were two mm-hmm. sort of forces on on the social media and on the internet. They're the ones that are trying to spread the truth and the you know fact be factual, etc. And then there are downright misinformation mm-hmm. uh, sources, people who are trying to manipulate people in a certain uh, a certain way. And those two, of course, exist. But there's a third category as well, and that is channels that are spreading things that are totally computerized it's all uh, created artificially just to create you know you get clicks you you, they have bots and stuff and i don't understand how it works of course but you can program things program twitter feeds you can program things and it grows by itself by just trying different trying different kinds of uh, tweets and different kinds of posts and whatever gets you most clicks or most ads uh, will uh, generate money and the ones who owns those they don't even care they don't care what it's mm-hmm. happening so they're not even trying to manipulate in a specific way they're just trying to to generate clicks very often uh, automatically with with some sort of artificial intelligence or, or, or things like that and that that that's interesting. So you have the truth, the fake, and the totally random things. And I yeah. wonder if the those random things are are, are taking over even more. The, the the question is whether they are really random or not. Well, um, not not random, but they don't have an agenda. That's what I'm trying to say. They're just generating things that gets clicks, and it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there is another piece of data that um, um, uh, there is a thing that it's called cyber troop capacity. When you actually actively uh, use bunch of cy- hackers and uh, cyber experts who can manipulate with the content, with content driven uh, ideas, and and uh, that is a way of manipulation. And we've heard of uh, of it uh, in terms of the U.S. elections uh, two years ago, yeah. and uh, like elections in other countries as well. And uh, it's very telling when you look at the global cyber troop capacity map on this very article that I told you about. 
the the greatest capacity is in Russia, in China, and in the United States. And surprisingly enough, in some South American and uh, countries as well as Mexico, for example, Cuba, for example, that is somewhat surprising. And what surprised me as well was uh, Vietnam and Laos. Sorry, no, Laos, Laos is not among them. Vietnam is. And uh, I recently learned about uh, the Vietnamese influence on the countries of uh, the in Indochina, and it's really something to to look at. Um, yeah. So, in conclusion, uh, this is an important issue, and uh, we need to keep an eye on uh, what's happening in the cyberspace because uh, it Absolutely. has the potential to influence people, and people are the ones voting on stuff, and uh, we all know what what it can lead to. Hmm. We have yeah. a couple of examples in front of us. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, uh, shifting the focus a little bit, we have talked about uh, science, scientific fraud in the past, and we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, how uh, certain researchers are, you know, manipulating their data, etc., to get published, etc. We have uh, followed a guy called uh, Macchiarini who uh, was uh, convicted... Well, he wasn't convicted in in legal court, but he was shown to have manipulated his data uh, and gotten permission to perform experimental surgery on people. Uh, He replaced people who were sick and needed a new trachea in the the throat. He had a new idea that you could change that into a plastic trachea if you coated it in stem cells. And he showed in his research that it was very doable, and he did a, a several surgeries on people too, until uh, it was discovered that he had uh, he didn't have the progress that he claimed to have. So it was a lot of suffering; people were dying. I, I don't think any of his patients survived. In the, in the aftermath of the Macchiarini scandal, there has been a lot of, uh, of course investigations and stuff and the the news this time is that there is a new study that will now look into science fraud in general but it's as uh, as a you know lessons learned from uh, the macarini scandal so we will see how that will work out but there they have uh, 4 million swedish kroner to do this research it will take a couple of years 4 million swedish is about 400,000 euros it's not huge amount of money but at least there are money being thrown at this and hopefully we can you know we can get control over the the fraudulent data coming out of certain scientific research Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. speaking of scientific research scientific research is usually being uh, published in uh, scientific papers right and uh, we have already mentioned elsevier in the past, in our uh, podcast, Elsevier is probably the leading publishing company in Europe when it comes to scientific magazines and papers. We have been uh, critical in our uh, coverage of Elsevier, and this is because of their strong position in the area, which let them charge very steep fees uh, for giving access to scientific information uh, that we, as skeptics, rather would like to be free for all. Uh, so-called open access has been discussed 
uh, also in, in uh, EU or in the EU Commission, I believe it was. Now what's happened is that the two open access supporters, the paleontologist John Tennant and a neuroscientist called Björn Bremts, has filed an official complaint with the European Commission to investigate if Elsevier is in breach of the EU competition rules. And this is not an easy problem in a way, because on one hand, we want all scientific findings to be available to everybody. And on the other hand, I mean, it's natural that the function of providing these findings must be funded somehow. You can't expect someone to do all of that and give, you know, publish all of these papers for free. But these two scientists who are filing the complaint, they have a very good point. If a study is published by someone like Elsevier, and other scientists must get to this study to, to read it and to quote it and to build on, on what, what's been found, Elsevier has a de facto monopoly on the study. They, you can't just go to another paper or to another provider. You need to go to this particular case that you're building your research on. On the other hand, then, of course, Elsevier is fighting furiously to keep the status quo where they make a fortune out of, out of this, out of providing uh, these studies. Uh, Andras, this is, a, this is a problem, right? You, you want it to be free, but you want somebody to pay for it. And then you understand that if you're a private company like Elsevier, you want to make money out of your, out of your papers. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. Yeah, but uh, it's it's not only these publishers, but um, all all the news uh, outlets are now begging for our money online and and offline as well, right? For the mm. same reason. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In the meanwhile, Elsevier is of course looking out for their interests, so they have sued seven internet providers in Sweden to get them to block something called SciHub which is its pirate web pages that publishes scientific studies for free that they have somehow gotten from, from Elsevier and, and others. So Elsevier mm. has reported them to the EU Patent and Market Court, which is likely to rule in Elsevier's favor because in a way this is stolen intellectual property that is provided for free by somebody else. Uh, that's interesting, but uh, also worrying that uh, a company is trying to block what can be reached through the internet. And I will come back to one of these internet uh, service providers in Sweden when we talk about today's Really Right. So I'll leave that as a little teaser for later <laughs> <in> this show. <laughs> okay. Because they, they have uh, reacted in a, in a certain interesting way. Oh, sounds good. I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, but before we move on to that, I'd like to draw our listeners' attention to something that is happening now in Germany. And that is the nominations having been opened up for the Golden, das Golden, Golden Brett. I have no idea if I pronounce it well. That is the Golden <laughs> Plate. And it is awarded to those who have excelled in... Uh, well, propagating some kind of wondrous or ridiculous esoteric bizarre statement. It is somewhat similar to um recently awarded um, kind of thing, which is called the Rusty Razor, uh, awarded by the Skeptic, 
which is the British magazine. And uh, it happened in NQED at QED uh, recently. It was awarded to Andrew Wakefield, none other. Mm. Because the actual award ceremony will take place both in Germany and Austria at the same time on November the 28th, you guys only have a couple of days to file your nominations. So the nominations will be collected online at uh, goldenesbrett.guru and uh, that's where you can nominate your favorite idiots. I think then the, the expert jury will decide whether, uh, who who is really worthy of that award. Yeah, I think last year it was uh, given to Peter Fitzek, who is the self-proclaimed king of Germany. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So That guy. <laughs> yeah, we mentioned yeah. him before. So the, even lunatics, feel free to nominate any kind of lunatic. <laughs> and please do so. Okay, that's all of the news, uh, which means we are ready to move on to Really Wrong, which uh, I believe, uh, based on what you've said earlier, this week will be really right. Yes, it is a really right. And uh, so I just mentioned Elsevier uh, suing seven Swedish internet service providers. I believe all of them... Uh, have felt forced to cave in, uh, knowing that they will probably uh, have to comply with with the request to block these uh, Sci-Hub pages. But there is one who is fighting back in a, f- a sort of funny way. This ISP is called Bahnhof. And even though they do actually have felt forced also to, to block the Sci-Hub pages, they have also blocked Elsevier's web page. Just to mm. make a statement. So if you are a Bahnhof com- uh, customer in Sweden and you try to go to Elsevier's uh, webpage, you are met with a webpage, another webpage instead saying that since Elsevier likes to block webpages, they are now being blocked by Bahnhof. <laughs> so I think that's fun. <laughs> but Bahnhof hasn't stopped there. So they've also blocked the webpage their own webpage, barnhof.se, if you are logging onto the internet from a computer which belongs to the EU Patent and Market Court. And then <laughs> the same way you get you get to a webpage saying, since you in the EU <laughs> Patent and Market Court likes to, to block pages, this is what it looks like when you try to block pages. I should say also that these blocks... <laughs> Are also called soft blocks. You can just click to co- continue. So they haven't really blocked it. They're just making a statement. So I think this is funny. But to clarify, I, I don't condone, of course, copyright violations. And Elsevier really are the legal owner of the studies that they are publishing. So that's fine. But I think at the bottom of this lies a problem that needs to be highlighted, right? How do we treat these very important studies that Elsevier has the monopoly on? And we need to move towards a situation where we have open access, where everybody who needs to access this information can do so without two, you know, like fantastic thousand euro fees per for one single study. Mm. So 
Uh, it's And it's also a bit fun. So for not just rolling over, but demonstrating against the lack of open access, Bahnhof gets today's prize for being really right. For having balls. Yes, for having balls. Exactly. That means, thank you very much, Pontus, that means that uh, we are going to conclude this show. But before we, we go, Yalana left us with a very nice quote. That is from Charles Darwin, none other, and it goes, To kill an error is as good a service as, and sometimes even better than, the establishing of a new truth or fact. Hmm, yeah, I like that. Killing I errors is that. very important. Yeah, it's very important, yeah, yeah. There are things out there that people believe is true, and it's not you have to correct it. And it's sometimes, as as Darwin said, sometimes even more important than uh, establishing a new truth or fact. And there's another reason why it's very important. It's self-correction. Mm-hmm. So I think it includes yeah. self-correction as well. So if you make an effort to weed out your own errors and you don't feel embarrassed by making them and correcting yourself, that is a good way of, first of all, communicating your errors and being honest and not trying to cover your errors, not t- trying to cover your mistakes, this is the way to go. Yeah. It's always about improving your yourself. It's always about improving life. It's always about improving the world. And this is the the basis yeah. of science. Yeah. And being, being humble. You know, this yeah. is the way we get forward to realize that, oops, that wasn't right. Let's correct that and move on. Exactly. And we are moving on as well. So thank you very <laughs> much, Pontus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, Andres. It's been a pleasure in this weird hour. And uh, I'd like to uh, thank our listeners as well for tuning in. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka paka. <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I'm happy to see others poping, <laughs> poping, poping, poping the poke. <laughs> it's it's late nice. here as well. <laughs> uh, which is the golden razor? So this is no, the, no, uh, it's not the not golden, golden razor. razor. Sorry, it's the Occam's razor. Um, yeah. And um, no, no, it's the rust. No, it's not even. It's wake not up. even Occam's razor. So let me wake up. 
uh, we have <laughs> tried to done our research, and sometimes it's totally off. But hey, well, it's a total if you're still listening, I think I remember myself. You know, at least it's entertainment. It's entertainment. It's this is this podcast is for entertainment only. 